as you bring in new people, bring them in on flat rate, yeah. yep. and eventually you'll have a whole new, you may have a new, you're gonna lose some people. A meritocracy, it's not supposed to be fair. Right. It's supposed to be merit-based. I've always said compensation has to match company objectives. It's, you know, Colorado, we have beautiful weather here in the summer, but we're due for a couple hours of rain pretty much every afternoon. You know, lightning strikes in Colorado in terms of fatalities is second, I think, only to Florida. Florida's number wow. one, and Colorado's right behind it. So that's why we had to come in and take some cover. Yeah, so we were we were talking about performance-based pay at the time, and so let's get back to that topic. Yep, uh, I think I left off, we were talking a little bit about, you would ask the question about people taking advantage of the system. Yep. And like I said, that 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 is a matter of, culture and leadership and core values and you get what you tolerate you get that in life you get that in business and true odds are these people were taking advantage of you under wage an hour uh on their time card you know putting down four uh you know even though i mean putting out eight hours for you know working four or making a four-hour job extend to eight right and, and taking advantage of you some somewhere or another and i think most contractors have told themselves a story where they've justified that, they've accepted it, they tolerate it because they kind of understand it. It's a time card, I know what it is. Performance-based pay is a little bit outside their comfort zone, right? It's something unknown to them. And therefore they make the, they tell themselves a story that I can't go to that because people will take advantage of this. Uh, it's too complex, it's too comprehensive. We don't have the software to manage it, so forth and so on. And so I think what you have to look at is, I've always said compensation has to match company objectives. And so if the company objective is, is to drive a certain segment of the business, drive a certain level of profitability so that we can reinvest into the business, uh, that's what this is all about, right? It's like you said, it's not to, to cut the pay as much as it is to drive productivity, which drives revenue, which drives, you know, squeezes the middle. And then hopefully we, you know, we get more coming out the bottom end there, which allows us then that, that increased productivity and profitability allows us to reinfuse that capital into the business to grow the business. So at the end of the day, really performance-based pay is all about driving the business forward. It is, it is a fuel for the engine in my mind. Now, what I, where I see companies struggle with it the most is they try, they try to do too much too soon with it. You just have to make it simple you, and you have to make it transparent. And you said a, a comment before we broke as well that you have to let an individual see how they're going to do on this. Hey, uh, we'll let you go you know, wage an hour and we'll let you go performance-based pay. And whichever one works out better for you, that's what we'll pay you. Right. And I can see that to, you know, to some extent, but I would rather go into it with, here's what we've done. I've looked at all of your pay on wage an hour, right? And I've looked at your pay based on performance-based pay. And let me show you what you would have made, you know, you know, last year had you been on performance-based pay. Now, you look at a top performer, you look at a mid-level performer, and you look at somebody who's, who, who would struggle, and you play it all out transparently, you know, transparently, you know, for them to see. And say, now that is just knowing that you have the paycheck coming, right? You, you didn't have to think anything differently. What, what would you think and do differently if you were on a system in which you actually had to be more productive? Do you see that how maybe you take the, you know, the bottom performing guy? Do you see what you could have done to maybe improve your, your chances of winning? Because what you'll typically find out is nobody is too far off from winning. Because if you set the system up, it is designed to let them win. In fact, I used to say to my dad uh, you know, back in the day at Cameron and Sons, 
dad, what do you care? If we're budgeting for 10% uh, labor, right? Why are you going to go ahead and pay them six to, you know, to drive them to perform, okay? And if they perform, then they get eight and you're holding two. Why not just pay all the 10, right? Keep them, keep them happy because this is what we've budgeted for. That's the abundance mentality, right? Have the abundance mentality. You know, I mean, if this is what you know it's gonna be, and then you, you make what you're going to make yeah. you know, as a company. And so yeah, my, my, my thought on this, before I kind of toss it back to you, is, is if you think you're going to lose, it's because you've set your company up that way. And that, you, you gotta look in the mirror, first and foremost, number one. Number two is make it simple, make it transparent. Gotta be Yeah, and cast it so that the people see it before you go switch to it. Don't go and switch to it right away. Say, listen, here, here's what you would have earned. Here's That's what you did earn, here's what you would have earned. That's a great implementation strategy. Yeah. So, so you've already got the, you've already done the homework yeah. for a couple of months before you presented them. Like here, because you know they're going to complain. Somebody's going to rise up and kind of say, "Ah, oh, well, how am I going to make any money?" We hired a, a new young uh, service tech from Texas uh, a month or two ago, uh, named Cody. Great, great young kid. I mean, you talk about we were joking about certain people who think they're the future of the industry. This kid really is just just salt of the earth, Texas cowboy, integrity, uh, just character, great guy. And, he was really concerned about the flat rate. He's like, man, I've been doing this for like five years now, but you know, I don't know, but you know, I, I, I trust you. He works for us for three weeks. And I was just trying to find the text message here while you were talking, I couldn't find it. But he sent me a text, he goes, three weeks on flat rate, I'm current on all my bills, I'm ahead of the game, and I've saved some money for my son's upcoming birthday. Nice. I never could have done that an hourly. Yeah. You know, and, it, and that's what it's really all about. That's the abundance you're talking about. I heard a great story from uh, Ron Collier. You guys, I'm sure you know Ron. Uh, Been Dr. around yep, been speaking, consulting in the industry and met him many, many years ago. And he was telling me this story because I hear so many people say that, you know, uh, flat rate, performance-based pay incentivizes cutting corners, you know, and hurrying to the job to get the extra pay. And, and again, that's a character issue, not a, a systems issue. But what it really does is just change the mindset. And Ron told me this story one time. He was doing a consulting gig and he went out with an hourly uh, installation crew on day one. And on the way to the job, they're talking about the girl they met in the bar the night before and blah, 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 blah. The next day he goes out with a flat rate crew. As they're getting out of the job, they're saying, hey, you grab the condenser, I'll grab the front, blah, blah. They're planning the job. And that's what it really is. It's just a shift in the way they approach their work because they have a vested interest in getting done sooner. You had mentioned before how guys will sometimes pencil whip you on time cards. And in many cases on flat rate, we, in, we incentivize that behavior. You take your top guy making 30 bucks an hour. He could do, let's say, a furnace in three or four hours. You take a guy making 20 bucks an hour, less experience, it takes him eight. So he does his 20 bucks per hour. He makes 160 bucks for putting that furnace in. The guy at 30 bucks an hour could do it for you in three hours. But why would he go do it for 90 bucks right. when the other guy's getting, you know, 160? So we incentivize that guy to slow down to make the system fair. Yeah. Instead of incentivizing that guy to go do it, come back and grab another one and go do it in the afternoon. Yes. And that's, that's really what it's all about. You got to think in terms of uh, a meritocracy. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not supposed to be fair. Right. It's supposed to be merit-based. Yeah. And so winners win. It's easier, and that's the problem to pay hourly. It's just easier. It is. It's easy. less leadership. It's less yep. requirements to be working with your team. Meritocracy creates the opportunity, though, for the guy that you're describing to earn up. Uh, two things I want to get out in front of the EGIA group. One, I get this question a lot. You know, it's not legal in my state. Mm. Uh, that is an absolute 
uh, inaccurate statement. It is absolutely legal. Uh, you'll have uh, attorneys that will give you bad business advice uh, and then say, well, you know, it, it, it's not legal here. But what you need to do is you need to ask the question, if I were going to do it, how do I do it legally? And so when you ask that type of question to the attorney, they'll reverse course and say, well, you can, but here's the requirement. You got to track overtime, right. you know, you've got to pay, et cetera, which you, which you would do anyway. Right. Uh, and then the second thing uh, is that what you were describing, we, if we uh, implement, we track 90 days yeah. of both systems. And so the thing that you'll see on the site and the discussion is we, d we never force the company to move to performance-based pay. We, we let them choose one or the other, but they all have 90 days of a picture of what they would have made on performance-based pay or what they would have made hourly. And so, again, uh, you might have 75% of your team say, raise your hand and go, yeah, I want to do that. The other 25% don't. It's not a democracy. We're, we're, we need to drive the company's performance forward. So if, if it's universally accepted, that's great, but it's probably not going to be. No. You're going to have some people say, no, I want to be hourly because that's comfortable. But 75% say, yes, we're moving towards that. Right. And I, what I need to say to the group is you're probably going to lose some people. Yep. And you yep. need to make peace with that idea that, that they probably weren't really good for your company culture anyway. It's, it's what I uh, tell clients all the time that all the time, you know, pick the ones that, that want to do the flat rate by giving the comparison. Yep. As you bring in new people, bring them in on flat rate. Yeah. Yep. And eventually you'll have a whole new, you may have a new, you're going to lose some people. And if I have yeah. Drew making $800 on an install and he's putting in two installs a day, he's making $1,600 for the day. We would pair the new person up with Drew and Drew would simply explain, hey, this is, this is how we do it. Right. This is a good thing, you know, uh, as opposed to deferring to the idea of, do you, do you want to be on this pay plan? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. It, so let's, let's talk about some specifics now. So, and I'll, I'll start with uh, kind of how we pay our sales guys and, and Drew uh, and, and Gary too. I want to hear from that. Uh, I'm particularly interested in Drew since you designed my first comp package. <laughs> I wonder what you were thinking. <laughs> uh, we, we pay our guys off of uh, gross profit mm -hmm. and it's a sliding scale. Starts at 60% uh, gross profit. So if you sold off our retail book price, it would be about a 60% gross profit, right? We have a little leverage in there. But if a guy sold straight out of the book at 60% gross profit, he gets 25% of the gross margin, of the gross profit. Okay. If he comes down to 50 to 60, he gets 20. If it's uh, 40 to 50, he gets 15 and so on. He this gets is down. sales you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, on sales, yeah. Because what I want is I want my sales professional when he's at the kitchen table and he's fighting for gross margin dollars, I want him to have a dog in the fight. And so he knows, man, if I give this away, it's going to drop me down, you know, and I'm going to go from 15, uh, you know, 20% of the gross profit to maybe 15%. And it all works out about the same, typically between seven, eight, 10, 11% off the top line anyway, right? Yeah. So guys will say, well, why not just pay him 10% off the top or 8% off the top? Well, the problem is if the reason it works out for us is because they have a vested interest in maintaining gross profit. If you just pay a guy 10% across the top, he'll drop you down into 35% gross margin. What does he care? Could be a multi-day job. You could lose money. He still gets paid. Exactly. So exactly. what you described was alignment. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Alignment. Alignment. Of course, I knew that. <laughs> Put a book on mindset, dude. I thought you were talking about congruency. Yeah. I thought you were talking about congruency, but apparently it's alignment. So well, alignment. I was thinking congruency too. <laughs> I call it congruent. <laughs> that's 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 the uh, whatever we're talking. Anyway, Drew, so talk to me about uh, the system that you use to beat me up and take advantage of me. 
probably why I you got you on it. The top line. Probably probably why you wrote a book. <laughs> paid you on the top line. Um, you know, I, I said it a little bit ago, right? Uh, compensation has to be aligned, you know, with you know corporate objectives and congruent and, and congruent, right? Exactly. So there's not only one way to pay, right? There's multiple ways to pay, and you just have to make sure that it, like I said, that it aligns with your company objectives and that you feel that the systems that you have in place will get you the results that you want. Because that's, I mean, that's what I build for, right? And so I understand the gross profit you know, you know, model and, and I have that at some of the clients that I work with and I also have the, the revenue model. So let's talk about that because that's the plan that you were on. I tie it to revenue and the reason is for most of my clients, it's, it is easier, right? So it's like wage an hour, uh, it's easier, number one. But number two, it's transparent. Right. Meaning, and I'm not saying that gross profit isn't, but for the, the guy who can go in the house, close a deal and know I just made X. Right. right? There's a big advantage to that. There's a big advantage to that in my mind. And I, and I, my belief is, is that management sets pricing. And so the one difference in my model that's different than your current model, which is why I agree with you should be on gross margin is I don't allow my guys to discount. Okay. My clients have a book price. If the price could be less, it would be less. The only time it is less is if we're running a promotion that's in the mail, it's in the newspaper, it's it's out there. It is a documented, you know, promotional marketing campaign, uh, certain incentives, and the guys, you know, more often than not throughout the year are kept whole on that. The only time they're not is during our winter campaign. And we do a commission share. It's not, a, you know, basically say, hey, listen, we're we're giving you some profit. The manufacturer's giving up some margin. And you guys are going to do a commission share, so we'll take you know commissions down to around the five or six percent range, you know, during the winter campaign. That's the only campaign because that's our most aggressive campaign. And I tell the guys simply this: guys, five or six percent of something's better than ten percent of nothing. Because if I don't do this campaign, we've got no leads, right? And the manufacturer's got no business either, right? So let's let's all work together, make a little bit, cover the bills, keep everybody gainfully employed, and then you know we push forward and uh, into the spring, and you're made whole again. And the guys, the guys buy into that. So I like to have, have it on top line revenue just for that level of transparency, but also because I, I lock in that book price. The only thing that the salespeople that I work with have the empowerment to do is just to enhance value. So you may recall, you were allowed to give away $800 worth of value that was probably about $250 worth of cost to, to JD's company. Humidifier or something like that. Something yeah. like that. You, you can enhance it you know, uh, extend the warranty, maintenance, humidifier, air cleaner, something like that. Enhance the value, but never drop the price. Because when you drop the price, you drop dollar for dollar. If you enhance the value, you basically only hit me for about maybe a third of that. And so that was thing number one. Thing number two was, if the book price isn't the book price, that was what I found in Cameron and Sons. I, did, I couldn't have all these guys going around and going in and wheeling and dealing on price and and we got called out on this before I took over the department uh, that why well, I dealt with the other sales guy and he quoted my neighbor X or you know, my friend or my coworker or something like that. And that became an integrity thing. And so that was the lesson that my dad told me in 1990 in actually buying a car. He didn't want me to play that game. And he took me to you know, car shopping for you know, a car that I was buying. And he taught me that lesson. And he said, you know, my name's on the sign, your name's on the sign and we don't negotiate price. That is our integrity. That's our character and we won't play that game. And we, we do train and encourage our guys to throw in some whatever versus dropping the price. 
But at the end of the day, we're going to job cost every job. That's another good side of it because it's forcing my operations manager. He has to job cost every single job. And so we know where we are. But yeah, I agree with you 100% that you're way better off offering some type of incentive. Uh, 800 bucks of value that really costs you 250 then. Well, I also don't want my guys, I didn't want to leave it up to the judgment of my guys as to what they thought, if they thought they needed to hold the line on the price because maybe the mortgage was due or Christmas was coming up and they, they thought they'd get away in a certain neighborhood or there was a certain car in the driveway, you know, with, by holding the line on price, right? And that, that came from the, the home improvement industry. They call it par pricing. Right. So par pricing in the windows, roofing, siding and gutter business is you have a, a price, OK, that you have to you know that you're allowed to come down to. So the book price starts wickedly inflated and then they can drop and drop and drop. They make five percent commission if they sell it at par. Anything they sell above par, they split 50 50 with the company. Right. And that became the model that I didn't want to have with my guys. I didn't want to leave it up to my guys judgment as to what they thought they could get away with. And they hold the line on price at a certain level and they don't get the job that I could have had had they come down to where I was willing to accept it. So I said, you know what? Here's the job. I know what it costs me to do business. And this is what I need to make as a company. You can't come off of that. This isn't also where you pick up the phone at the house and you call Drew and say, hey, hey, I got this job. It's a cake job. You know, hey, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? No. Right. So now my guys go out there with complete confidence in the price book knowing that that price is the price. And it's amazing when I change companies that have the wheel and deal uh, mentality on pricing and we go to that standardized flat rate pricing, you know, they sell, closing ratios goes up, average tickets go up. Are those, are those prices based on a uh, targeted gross profit or more gross margin dollars per day type thing? Net profit. Net profit. So I, I got taught and, you know, Gary knows uh, my mentor on this one. His name is Roland J. Down. He uh, since passed away, but he was a service experts guy, but he was part of my ACCA mix group in the early 90s, late 80s and 90s. And my dad sent, sent me to his business and this guy budgeted everything in his company down for the first 41 years in business. He never made a penny, he said. But then he realized I never made any money in business. I'm going to figure this out. And he got his daughter who'd come out of college and he started building a budget and he budgeted everything in his company, even to, to sheet metal uh, screws and nails and duct tape and caulking and everything and loss on jobs, bad debt. He had it wired down to a science. And so he taught me what I needed to know about pricing. And so he taught me the dual overhead you know, model and the single labor overhead model, which is what I now I use for my clients. And, you know, he said, he basically said is that, you know, labor drives overhead, which is what we've talked about in, in many episodes, uh, you know, that we've spoken here. And he said, set your price to where you need to make money. He says, you don't get to spend gross profit dollars. He says, you only get to spend net profit, net profit after taxes. So he says, so build your price based off of net profit. And so that's what we did. So that's the model that I have. And it's funny, your boss, in fact, told me, uh, you know, JD, he told me when I came out here, he had worked with uh, another guy for a while. He wasn't making any money. He met me at a comfort tech meeting, you know, in 2001, had me come out and do some work for him. I put him on my system. It worked for him. Right. And then I went away and then he started losing money again and he brought me back. And that's when we hired you. Right. So we put the system back into place. He goes, you know, I was making money when you were here the first time. He goes, then I started losing money. <laughs> he goes, that's, I, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> Finding something that works and stop using it. So then he went away from it. Right. So we get you, we get the system back into place. We're making money. He's, he's, he's killing it. Right. With you and, uh, I don't remember the other gentleman, Winston and Aaron. 
Uh, no, oh, it was no, John Kennedy. There. John uh, Jack Kennedy. Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy, right? Yep. And Aaron, right? Aaron Sinceros uh, or something like yeah, that, right? Sinceros. So, yeah. um, so he's killing it again, right? And then I finish that contract. I go away again, and then he joins another best practices group, joins the franchise, and he he absorbs that business model of doing business, right? And of course, you've left, and he calls me back a few years later. Same thing. He says, you know, I used to make money when I worked with you two other times before. He goes, but I stopped making money. It's almost like Jesse's hard-headed. Yeah. Just, <laughs> He's a great friend of both of ours. He actually works with us now in my new company. Yeah. Uh, great guy, but, uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, contrarian, shall we say? Yep. So he brought us back. He brought Russ and I back in uh, the 2012 timeframe and put the system back into place, started making money again, and eventually sold the business and yep. moved on. And, you know, he's now obviously years later working with you. Yeah, but... he came back to Colorado Springs, and he was uh, going to open another company. But uh, it was, it's funny because... Uh, the, you know, you put enough, you put enough tread on your tires in this, any business, I guess. And you get to a point, he was just like, I don't want to start another company. I want to go sell and make 200 grand a year. And that's uh, where he is. And he's doing it. He's doing a great job. So let me close the yep. thought. Let me close up my thoughts on this. Yep. Um, the way I looked at it in my company, when my dad asked me to take it over and the way I've been running it for my clients ever since rich salespeople equal a rich company. All right. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that whatever I, wherever I go, I want the salespeople to be rich. And I set it up so that the company's going to be rich. The company can't get hurt. My dad, and we've said this on a couple other episodes before, my dad said to my brothers and I years ago, we can kill the golden goose and have a glorious feast once. He goes, but we take care of the golden goose, we got golden eggs forever, right? And so every client I go in, I look at, I have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that this company makes money. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to drive replacement sales. I love Ron Smith. He gave me an opportunity at Service Experts, and I agree with him. The way you sustain a company is through service agreement sales, right? But when I get called in, okay, I want to put that in place because that's, that's, you know, that's the farmland. That, that's going to give you crops in the future. But if I want crops now, yeah. replacement Sell. sales. Splash, right? Big splash. Yeah. And so that's what I kind of do. And I drive it towards the salespeople. I incentivize them with the comp plan. I give, I, I incentivize uh, connection ratio or closing ratio. I incentivize revenue per lead. I know that's the favorite metric of yours. Not, not average ticket, revenue per lead, right? And we, we take guys and we put them into the six-figure realm and multi-six-figure realms. <laughs>